Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ron Swallow. I'm Ed Greer. And I am producer Bill. And today, we enter part four. In our the end game now. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when we thought this was going to be like one episode? Uh, it was it was ridiculous. We we also in, in experienced intense logaria on the other three, so I won't I shan't uh, engage in that in this one. Let's get right to it. We stopped at 2015, right? Yes. Uh, so we and did everything in 2015. So 2016 is on the horizon for us here. 2016 is a really important year because if you think about it, this was where you know, barring Ant Man, which came out I guess in 2015, we're marching now into Phase Three of the MCU, which at this point we know is going to culminate in the big throwdown with Thanos, mm-hmm. and this is the this is the first outing in the DCEU. I may have been a little bit disappointed by Man of Steel. I know you guys were too, yep. but this was where DC was going to plant the flag in the ground and say. Now we are going to challenge Marvel. And I think at this time, like the presidential election was happening in 2016. That was um, stressful to say the least. But as far as pop culture went, like we were gazing with stars in our eyes, man. The sky was the limit at this point. Yeah, which was why I was so excited when I went to see Suicide Squad on opening night thinking, man, (laughs) I'm going to have a blast at this shit. And I did not. Oof. That was so tough because that, first of all, yes, it was carrying the hopes of the nascent DCEU on its back. But also it had those trailers with the kick-ass queen score and it just looked like it was going to be this big bonkers romp. But then there were all these rumors about production problems, this and that. And it's like you had a reason to be excited and man, was that a letdown. Yeah, the worst Joker uh, in existence is on on that movie. Well, I mean, I just think beyond all the little ticky tack things that are wrong with it, and they are a myriad. Uh, I don't want to spend a big long time talking about yeah, this piece let's of shit. Do that. I uh, the fucking the fucking BET Killer Croc, uh, fucking all this different shit. But these are like these are a sugar coated topping on the problems of this movie because it starts out with you gonna introduce a movie full of eight motherfuckers and I don't know none of these people. Like the the Guardians of the Galaxy thing, I guess they were emboldened by that. They could, they, and I think the most facile level of analysis is this was their attempt to do Guardians of the Galaxy, sort of a, a, a group of people who are not as well known as all the major super people, but are sort of, sort of tertiary, are sort of outside the law and can make their own little unit. So you don't have to have Superman and Batman in there all the time. You can just have this little unit. And even they fucked that up by throwing Batfleck in there. Just, I don't know, man. This. This is bad shit, man. This is their yeah. attempt to it, it's it's showing Guardians versus this. It's it's not even a contest. But the question is, is it as bad as X-Men Apocalypse? <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, you know, I don't bad. think it is. Those two movies are bad in wildly different ways. Yes. Yeah. Like X-Men Apocalypse. Suicide Squad was unintelligible, like it made no sense, and there were just baffling editorial choices. X-Men Apocalypse was just boring. Like, they took an X-Men end of the world movie with one of the most renowned villains from the comics canon and just made it boring. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Um, So then we've got, but then we've got some, we've got some gems, or at least ones that I think are gems. Um, uh, I think uh, the the standout one, and this is also earlier in 2016, uh, was Captain America: Civil War. 
which more felt like an actual another Avengers movie, by the way. Dude, was the, was did Civil War and Batman v Superman come out in the same year? What an interesting! I I totally forgot that we had the uh, those head to head matchups happening in the same year. Yeah, and um, man, does BVS fail by comparison? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, also it's just like again, Captain America versus Tony Stark is two characters that we know and like. And understand where they are at this point in time. We've seen multiple movies of them at this mm-hmm. point where we're rebooting the Batman brand. So this Batman hadn't been seen before. And for some reason, the Batman and, and this Superman's universe is older than Superman. And uh, it just there's so many wrong choices. It just makes me really pissed that I'm not I'm trying to relitigate all of them. But starting with old Batman is wrong. Yep. I think full stop. I, I just yeah. don't understand why you would do that. You can't start with old Batman. I'm sorry. If you want to do a standalone movie, which DC was fond of doing at the time, thinking they were going to do that type of shit, a standalone Dark Knight Returns movie starring a wizened person or whatever, yeah. knock yourself out. Have a ball. Do it like Joker. Make it R-rated. Mutant leader fucking eating people and shit. Knock yourself out. But trying to jam all that up the ass of the Man of Steel universe made a horrible puppet for all us to see. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Batman versus Superman, I don't know if I agree with you on the old Batman as a mistake from the jump thing. Because, you know, he was he was old, but he wasn't retired old. He just had been doing it for a while. He was just a gruff, gruff, wizened character, which is somewhat but, reflective of, like, where he was in pop culture at the time. Yeah. My problem with that, though, is we're mm. we're talking about a Batman who's who's yeah sure he's seen some shit but he's also solved every problem you can think of right i mean he he's he's the detective of detectives and he can't figure out the plot of this one it just doesn't thing if it's young batman it makes some sense he's hot he's still pissed about his parents way more pissed i'm sure we we show that he's still hurt or whatever uh i'm so glad we got to you know see it all again um, in slow-mo this time. In slow-mo, yeah. So, <laughs> and those pearls looking pretty. But at the same time, I just like a young Batman makes sense in that situation because he might fall for a trick like this. He's only been doing it a couple of years, falling for a trick like as obvious as I'm trying to get you to fight Superman is... Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. This movie is the Zack Snyderiest of all Zack Snyder movies, maybe <laughs> barring the Snyder cut of Justice League. But, like, it is the epitome of having a bunch of really interesting shit on paper that just does not work when you put it on screen. Where, like I said, I don't mind the idea of kind of a wizened Batman. I think the idea of, like, can we do a superhero movie as, like, a weird conspiracy thriller that's a super cool idea. Even the idea that like Batman's going a little bit off the rails and it's up to Superman's goodness to redeem him. I'm down with that. And of yeah. course, who doesn't want to see Lex Luthor manipulating Superman and Batman to fight each other through a series of weird Byzantine plot mechanics? Like, go nuts on all that unless you go nuts in this way. Because like, <laughs> the way that they actually executed all of that was just eyeball bleeding insanity well yeah and just and all, all i have to say about like the old I, I agree with what ron said earlier if you're gonna make him older and wiser make him actually so mm-hmm. and i just feel like it was a classic case of of snyder borrowing the aesthetics of something without worrying about 
the actuality of it in, in, in any sort of dramatic reality, right? That's all he it's, does. I mean, that's right. what he does. So, so he wanted Batman to be in armor like Dark Knight Returns. He wanted Batman to fight Superman like Dark Knight Returns. He didn't care about anything else in there. Like the, the reason why a Batman fights a Superman is Batman is so old, he's tired of Superman shit. Mm. How the fuck can this old man be tired of Superman shit when Superman just came out? You know what yeah. I mean? The whole plot of Dark Knight Returns, everything that makes it work to the point where people like Snyder and everybody and all the Anne Randians love it so much to this day, despite all of its myriad flaws. The fact that people are so into it is that this was Batman going, I'm tired of your shit. I'm tired of you serving any power that be, no matter how corrupt they are. I'm tired of you. And I'm going to yeah. show you once and for all who the man of this world is. Yeah. How are you going to do that when you just establish both characters and one of them is recasted? It doesn't make any sense. That's what I mean by starting old didn't make any sense. That's what I meant by that. No, 100%. I mean, the Dark Knight Returns fight works because of their friendship and because, as you stated, Superman in that version of the story is a stand-in for kind of a, a feckless and corrupt political ideal that Batman's fighting against. And yep. in Batman versus Superman, he was neither. You know, you, you got neither one of those dynamics. And they tried to replace it with Batman having a paranoia over the existential threat of Superman, which even it seemed like nobody else in the universe of the story even bought into. So then yeah. it just comes across as like, what are we doing here? Yeah. What is this <laughs> psychopath doing? Yeah. <laughs> Fighting quick, a superhero. I just want to segue from that. That's exactly right, Ron. I just want to segue from that to Captain America Civil War, which has a, a conflict between two superheroes, has us have to buy into said conflict, has us have to pick sides. And I got to say, the the older I get, I know how Republicans are formed because the older I get, the more I identify with Tony Stark. Look, man, I don't need a bunch of fucking assholes who just tie bandanas around their faces, running around unilaterally punching buildings down. Yeah, <laughs> That doesn't make any fucking sense. Mm -hmm. The only reason why it makes a modicum of sense is the fact that we know Captain America is such a good guy. It doesn't hurt that he's blonde-haired and blue-eyed for, for most of the populace. Mm -hmm. it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt. You know, imagine War Machine being like the leader of that. They'd be like, man, we got to shut this motherfucker down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, so it's so I'll funny that yeah. you, like, you mentioned that because it's like uh, I remember when I first I'm like, no, you can't like register superheroes. That sounds sketchy but then you think about like no we're not registering them we're gonna have them work for for the government they're gonna be regulated so you know they don't kill a bunch of people by accident and when they do there's someone to say something like we're sorry for the mistakes that have been made and blah 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 you know at least there's some kind of oversight uh this movie made a great argument for both sides and and you understand everything that happened in it the bad guy isn't even a superpower bad guy. I, I, this movie is really, really fucking good. Well, we, we talked about it briefly. Just, just what my two cents on that part. We talked about it briefly in one of our last things, but I, I think Civil War might be my favorite Marvel thing. Period. It's mm. very close between it and Winter Soldier, but I think Civil War, even more so than I think, we're going to go on to this other shit. But Civil War just boiled down the conflict of like with all these superheroes, they're bound to fight and just the Marvel thing of, Hey, I see a guy in a costume. He's doing some stuff. I'll beat his ass before I, uh, before I have a conversation with him, the Marvel team up aspect. 
that showed that aspect of him, but also had some pathos. Like I'm choosing this side because X I'm choosing this side because Y to have that many people that motivated to fight each other in the hour, in the span of two hours or 30 minutes, it's masterful comic book filmmaking. I think it might be the masterstroke of all these movies. Yeah. It's unbelievable how tightly constructed that movie is for as many moving parts as it has. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's something I could also apply, yeah, to Infinity War and Endgame. But this one really set a new bar for Marvel movies. And whereas Batman vs. Superman was trying to be this twisty-turny conspiracy thriller that you real, that and really got lost in the weeds, Civil War is not a conspiracy thriller, but... It is a political thriller, and I, as Ron was alluding to, the politics of it work really, really well, mm. and especially as an introduction to Wakanda, mm-hmm. what a choice. What a choice to like have that terrorist attack gone wrong affect the Wakandan consulate, and so we meet Black Panther and we meet his father, not in the context of being superheroes, but in the context of being representatives of this country, and it's like... The, the slow rollout of who Black Panther is in that movie was unbelievable. Um, and then, yeah, to Ed's point, the way that they just kept bringing in more characters and it all made sense based on things that we had seen before. Like, just nothing but great choices. I mean, the introduction of Spider-Man, are you fucking kidding me? Oh, yeah. I, I just, they, they just nailed that. And I, that was like, I remember watching that and going, oh, that's, that's Spider-Man. That's yeah. that is yeah. literally how I see Spider-Man when I read comic books is what they just put on the screen. And not only in the action, but in the quips and the the silliness and just that moment where they don't talk about Uncle Ben. They don't talk about any of that stuff. It just says when the bad things happen and you didn't do something to take care of it, that's your fault. And I just just like what in a in a in in a comic book movie you pulled off an emotional moment like that with just like you said, 47 different moving parts. I just, this movie's it's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's uh, weird, wild stuff. I I think, uh, but uh, last things last on it. I just think, I think the, the Spider-Man and the black Panther thing are of a piece. And I think the winter soldier part of it is of a piece as well, because we got, we got to see, we got to see, Winter Soldier earlier, but Winter Soldier as a sort of reformed good guy esque character in this movie was like a masterstroke. His fighting with uh with the Falcon for a best buddy ship of Cap was just mm-hmm. great stuff. Uh, Agent Thirteen, who might even be a bad guy now, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, through the events of uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier uh, miniseries on D- Disney Plus, all of that is introduced here, and then just like Black Panther as look, man, I don't give a fuck about what y'all are doing. Yeah. I have this singular mission and I'm like the terminator of this movie. It contrasted with Spider-Man being like, "Hey guys, I don't give a fuck what you're doing. I'm just glad to be here, man. This is so fucking awesome." Yeah. That, 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 they're they're yeah. two sides of the same coin in that respect and I'll never ever forget. I'll probably be on my fat ass deathbed thinking about when when uh when a soldier tried to punch Spider-Man and he goes, "You got a robot arm?" Cool. Oh. Oh. Dude, just such a flex without even trying. Like that's Spider-Man. Spider-Man is that's him, man. You're right, Ron. Oh. He that's him. Yeah. Perfect. Was this so, the movie? Th- this might have been the movie where Marvel really perfected the way that they can blend so many different tones. Because mm-hmm. 
there are, as we were just talking about, like laugh out loud, funny parts, just amazing, heartwarming, like, oh, that's the character type parts. But then also some like really dark, serious stuff. And it all hits equally well. Like this, I think this was the movie where Marvel just perfected that tone. The next movie I was going to bring up was one that I know uh, Bill doesn't particularly like, but I super enjoyed and watched multiple times. And that's Deadpool. Oh, yeah. Well, I think the last two that are worth talking about in here uh, definitely have a nice dichotomy to them. So let's get let's get to the one that annoys Bill first, because I love, love, love it. Because uh, it's the only time that Bill's as irascible as me. I get so mad. I mean, we, we all of us get mad at stuff. All of us have our rants. All of us are curmudgeons to a certain degree on some of this shit. But boy, Bill's hatred for Deadpool. I'll just say this. I don't like Deadpool either. Deadpool could jump in a lake. But Ryan Reynolds, they just finally found a way to just... they. Everybody thinks he's so charming. I'm personally unaffected. I'm not a girl. My ovaries are dry. Uh, I just I don't fuck with Ryan Reynolds like that. I, he was in Blade Trinity doing this same shtick, and it sucked ass. But he's just and to me, Wolverine. he's a, yeah, and we'll, he's just he's this he's like a Rambo knife. And until you're trying to dig your way out of a trench, or you need some fishing line from the hilt, or you need to look at the compass on the hilt of it, what do you need a Rambo knife for? Mm. This thing is him as a Rambo knife of charm and wit and blah blah, just perfectly used. This is the the situation where you need a Rambo knife. And I'm glad it happened because he's great in it. But I, 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 it's a miracle that I like this movie this much because I don't like these type of characters. I don't like what they did to my man Colossus. I don't like a lot of it. But as a piece, it coheres. And I love Colossus's look, but his attitude is too wizened to I'm an experienced X-Man. My Colossus is sort of young and like, hey, I can break the whole world apart. Can I come to your party? That's yep. my Colossus. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, no, I hear know, that. This was a comedy, and obviously they went with pure comedy. The the everybody had some, you know, one moment, blah blah blah, you know, all of that over the top, ridiculous shit. Um, I love this movie. It made me laugh. I've always kind of enjoyed Deadpool, and I. It's interesting because I remember when this movie came out. I, before this movie came out, I knew that if I saw someone wearing a Deadpool shirt, that they probably read comics. Hmm. There's a pretty good chance of that because they did. There was no way for you to know Deadpool without having read the comics for the most yeah. part. And so, you know, when you see someone wearing that shirt, you'd be like, oh, oh, hey, let's have a conversation. You can strike up that conversation. That this movie made that not an option anymore because, <laughs> and, and which was fine, you know, like now it's, you know, led to more people reading comics, I'm sure, or at least a little bit according to uh, statistics in the last few years. So, but, uh, but I hear Bill. Not a huge fan of this movie. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, let me set the record straight. I like Deadpool 1 well yeah. enough. I have major problems with Deadpool 2. I think it, it goes totally off the rails. Yeah. But the first Deadpool movie, I agree with Ed. I think that it's one of those things where, like, on paper, I, I shouldn't love it. But it's executed so well, and it like it just sings. Everything about it just sings. And and same with Ryan Reynolds. I think I have a few problems more with the culture that developed around it. Like anybody that's going to say Deadpool is like the greatest superhero movie ever made, I, um, those people those people piss me off because it's like, what are you responding to? I don't. I like mm, the humor. Yeah. The humor is juvenile. I don't like the fact that. 
they essentially turned it into a Ryan Reynolds star vehicle because I'm a little bit sick of Ryan Reynolds. And also, like, I don't know. Now it's just become he's just Deadpool in everything. And now people are cool with it. And it's like, I we shouldn't be doing that. Same reason I don't like The Rock, right? Like, he's just the same dude in everything. And I don't like that. Um, all this stuff is a little bit incidental to the actual movie. I love the story, the behind the scenes story behind this movie of the fact that like it was in development, it got shelved. And then Miller, Tim Miller, the director who was a special effects guy going into it, released to the internet, leaked his own special effects reel. And the internet exploded so much with how cool it looked that it convinced Fox to put Deadpool back into active development. Like that's sick. Um, and I also like the smallness of the story. Like it does a really mm. good job of not getting too big for its britches. And it's like, look, we're going to tell this sort of gleefully anarchic, violent, funny story. Like we're not trying to change the world or save the world. So just saving a just, girl. yeah, let's just keep it small. So again, it's like, I think they do a ton of good stuff. Um, I can't hate it, but it's just, it's nowhere near my list in any way, shape, or form for, like, greatest superhero movies ever made. And I'm a little bit resentful of the fact that it is on so many other people's lists. That makes sense to me a lot, because it is not. Look, it's a fun movie, and yeah. I, I like it as a rewatch, too. But it's not, like, it's it doesn't, it, it only touches my heartstrings, like, one time. Well, yeah. it's 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 the kind of trifle that they were making earlier. If you reference our third episode, I do believe in this series, uh, the time of the comic book movie used as sort of a a mech to go around a star. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like the comic book would be the armor for a star to go be a star vehicle, or maybe vice versa. That that this is the this is the one of those that hit that hard. Yeah, yeah, this was like if Jonah Hex worked. It would right. have been Deadpool. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Just yeah. kind of disconnected from everything, doing its own thing, just like pairing a star with material and just letting it be a vehicle for him. Deadpool, dead, dead cool. Deadpool was that, and it worked. Yeah. Um, um, and then yeah. let's get to uh, Doctor Strange. Mm. That's that's the that's the, the last big one on this list. There's a uh, uh, you know Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles two and a couple of other uh, cool cartoons that came out. But we're going to just basically hit the big ones. And Doctor Strange, I think, is the next big one. Yeah, it's so. the only thing that qualifies. Um, just really quickly, I just got to say, best ending of a Marvel movie that I'd seen up to that point. May, and I, I maybe Captain America, uh, Captain America uh, Civil War. I would say that about Captain America Civil War as well. Like really, both of them. Those are top tier endings for the rest of yeah. all time. I mean, I understand the endings of both Endgame and Infinity War are going to come up in that conversation. But if there's a top four, these are them, in mm -hmm. my personal opinion. Yeah, I love I love Doctor Strange. That original Doctor Strange movie, I think, is great. I, you know, I don't know what else to say. I, it gets flack for, oh, it's just an Iron Man ripoff, which I guess is true in a lot of ways. But I feel like it tells its own story with a great momentum, a great focus. I think Benedict Cumberbatch gets actually increasingly less good as Dr. Strange, but in yes. that first movie, I think he's fantastic. Um, love Mads Mikkelsen loves how he plays that villain as sort of like this weird, aloof zealot 
It's like a, an interesting contradiction. The ending is amazing. Benedict Wong as Wong, you yep. know, the way they d- chose to use him so he wasn't just a manservant like he was in the comics. I mean, just the and now weird... he's Sorcerer Supreme. <laughs> well, right. And just like the weird anachronistic touches of like Camertage is not like this mystical mountain hideaway, although it does become that somehow in Multiverse of Madness. But like yep. in the original Doctor Strange, it's a compound in a city and they even like lampshade it with the crack about the Wi-Fi. I mean, I don't know. I just all of it worked for me. I think it just is. It's a great little movie. It's not going to change anybody's world. It's not the greatest ever made. But like as an entry in the MCU, which, you know, at this point is kind of what you were looking for. It was satisfying as hell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, and uh, yeah, no arguments there. I just really enjoyed it. It's another one of the movies that I rewatch like relatively frequently put on in the background while I'm doing stuff. So super rewatchable. Yeah. The, and the only thing that makes it, I, 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 I do quibble with Mads Mikkelsen. I think he was pretty wasted. You cover up that beautiful cheekbone face with that bullshit makeup. You put him with a bunch of other clones, and their 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 Zelda's goals aren't. They weren't. It's not that they weren't clear. I they just don't compelling. know. Yeah, no. I just don't know how compelling they actually were. But when that's you get fair. to see how much damage they were going to do towards the end of the movie, I just think I think that's one of the few movies. Well, not. I think that's one of the movies that just gets stronger and stronger as it goes along. Mm-hmm. It doesn't front load too much. Like, like, like I was saying about Thor. Thor does some of the most dope Thor shit in that first movie and the first ten minutes, and then the rest of it's a slog to right. me. Right. And this doesn't do that. It it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds, and and you get to get a little bit of that. You're the best around when he starts learning how to do this stuff he's not a natural at it the only thing he's natural at is being sort of a a photographic memory guy and he used that to study up his medicine so he's going to use it here that that's his one super ability is the ability to remember stuff if he Mm. just presented with a bunch of stuff to remember and to learn he can do that so his natural grit and that made him a prodigy in magic and shit i i just love all that i i that that whole it's a it's it's beautiful. I, also, I love I, that. I just, I just want to mention on a very base level, it looks cool. Like, yes. the special effects are fucking super oh, fun. Oh, dude, I, the last thing's last. Compare that to goddamn uh, – uh, what's that bullshit Nolan made with the dreams? Inception. <sighs> Inception. Inception. I think it's that but cool. This concept yeah. that when you start twisting the city up, you can get smashed in buildings that are clockwise doing stuff. Inception was magnificent and really cool as far as that mind-bending visuals of all that stuff. But I think Scott Derrickson and that team just took it down to a practical superhero level. And it elevates it to that point where that effect is used greatly in um, Spider-Man No Way Home. It's yeah. a recognizable mirror dimension, blah, blah, all that Doctor Strange the visuals that denote his magic are all pitch perfect from the spinning of the hand to make open the portals to the, to the magician's clothes to the sanctum centaurum looking like a place you could actually go. Not just a set full of bullshit. Yeah. There's so many beautiful choices in that movie and it, it gets, it gets overlooked a lot. And I yep. think that the, the reason those special effects all hit as well as they should, not only are they really well done and really well visualized, But the movie is paced unbelievably well. And I think, Ed, you were hitting on this a little bit, but like the the training sequences, the sequences of him learning all the secrets, like everything building up to him becoming Doctor Strange, like 
It's not too short. It's not too long. It mm. gives you everything you need to understand that this is hard and it's taking a while, but he's making progress. And then when things start to unravel, it's like the fights keep escalating. So you keep seeing more and more of these weird, wild visuals, but it doesn't all come at once and it doesn't make you wait these long stretches in between like just a, a great movie if you're interested in editing and pacing whether it's for screenwriting directing whatever that's a really good movie to take a look at because it's paced unbelievably well oh yeah, yeah. and a friend of the show or rather the show is a friend of him see robert cargill on the screenplay mm. on that yes. one, along with Dirksen and possibly another couple writers you know how they do yeah. <laughs> but yeah see robert cargill t- talks about his partnership with Derrickson and them being able to do that movie as like, like a dream come true, but also like the most intense work, you know what I mean? Uh, sure. That you have to do to, to get all those things. So it is a masterstroke. So, Oh, we've arrived at 2017, which is insane. 2017 <laughs> is full of a lot of really good shit. And then maybe two, arguably one that we probably, we all, you all know we don't like for the most part. And then one, that is like okay, but that I enjoy, but it's just not probably not good. So we got Justice League, the Snyder Cut. No, uh, Justice no, just, League, not, the just Whedon Justice cut. League, Whedon <laughs> yeah. Cut, yeah. Which look, uh, it's not great. We all know it's not great. There's some good parts. There's some bad parts. It's also just wild in looking back on the conversations that we've been having how much the DCEU was trying to do in such a short amount of time. Like we talk about Man of Steel towards the end of our last podcast episode. And now here, like in the first half hour of this podcast, we've got Suicide Squad, Batman versus Superman, and now Justice League. And it's like, holy shit, were they just rushing into things? Like even at the time, I don't think I felt that quite as acutely as I do right now talking about it. Yeah, them motherfuckers was rushing more than Putin. Look, I, I, I think that I don't want to start there. I want to start simpler. I want to start with things like uh, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. No, I just wanted to mention that because it was such a seminal, like, um, uh, like foreign, like uh, Muebius, as they say it over there, Muebius's, uh, uh, like art and all this kind of shit. And I think I just think this was us bumping into the limits of adapting something to the screen. Yeah. Cause I don't have Valerian. It does play there. There, it is a place where there is a thousand planets in one place. And there's some sort of mystery mercenary adventure through a thousand, a place with a thousand planets. I, uh, how is that a movie? Like, honestly, how are we going to follow these distinct characters through a movie? I tried to watch that. I tried to watch that movie. Same. Yeah. It was just, it looked really pretty. There's yeah, so much cool shit bullshit. in it. Yeah, there's so mm-hmm. much cool shit in it, but none of it is compelling. Like there's no there's no drama to it that makes you interested or invested at all. And it's yeah. the limits of having an IP. I think they're finding the ceiling on IP. What what I that IP may have meant something in other countries for other markets. It meant nothing to us. And nothing you could do could make it mean anything to us, no matter how much sheen you put on it from your special effects and stuff. Because it's not, it's not Batman. Mm-hmm. It's not Spider-Man. It's like we're, we're this is the era where we're starting to bump up against that. You can't just you know take any IP. And uh, the other one I just wanted to shout out um, again: these people, small little baby comics like uh, Atomic Blonde or I Kill Ooh. Giants. These people getting their stuff made into actual movies during this period. It's fresh, man. I, I wish we would almost do just big budget crap 
and you made your little shitty graphic novel, we'll do a little low budget movie for you. I wish that was almost it, but that because that whole middle stinks. Mm. The, the middle yeah. stinks, and even yeah. some of the higher end movies thing. As we get to Justice League, they spent a billion jillion dollars on it. They developed it to hell. They did all this stuff, but they didn't take their time, as Bill were talk- Bill was talking about earlier. Yeah, I uh, think Atomic Blonde, by the way, is fucking badass. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's interesting. And it's an interesting contrast between Atomic Blonde and Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Atomic Blonde really gets over on its cast. Like Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets was trying to do the thing where it's like, all right, let's take two hot, young, weird, quirky celebrities and pair them up and, you know, maybe discover some interesting chemistry. And they did not. And like, both of those people were so horribly miscast that it pretty much sank the movie between uh, Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne. Mm-hmm. Um, Atomic Blonde, I didn't think was really a great movie. I didn't think it was really a well-written story. I, I wasn't super compelled by like the twists and turns of the, it as a thriller. But, I mean, Charlize Theron and James McAvoy absolutely slay. And like the action choreography is <laughs> so dope. It mm-hmm. gets you through the movie, dude. That yeah. stairway scene, yeah, it, it's so fucking good. I that scene alone, it makes the whole movie worth it to me. Yeah, and this is really where the the style of action choreography that we're gonna see, you know, going into like the Daredevil Netflix series and mm-hmm. some other movies like coming up in the later 2020s or in into 2020 and beyond. This is where it gets going, and it's you know, I think it comes from some marriage of like. The Tim Miller um, Deadpool approach with who were those guys that did? Uh, it was the John Wick guys that did yeah. Atomic Blonde. Yeah, and so and it's like that's that's kind of that era I, is taking off right now in 2017. I, I want to say that those guys were inspired by Tony Jaa, possibly. I don't know. It just feels like they watched that one scene in. I want to say it's Ong Bak. He he just fights people. They, they do a one shot where he like beats the shit out of like 40 people going up and down staircases. And it mm-hmm. is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And it, and it really feels like they kind of drew from some of that, that really good uh, foreign martial arts uh, film style to put into atomic block. I mean, but that, that's the whole, the whole jam of all the guys that, you know, worked on the matrix and then as stunt doubles and as stunt coordinators, and then they get their own crew. I think that and they get their own crew together to make stunt teams and shit from the end of the guys in the raid or the old boy has a big, long, you know, one shot fight. You know what I mean? Like yep. it's taking, I said it before Eastern action, Western budget. Yeah. I've been saying that shit since I was 17 and that was too <laughs> long ago for me to fucking enumerate on this podcast. <laughs> but saying that shit, American money and their work ethic and no OSHA. <laughs> Fucking, <you know. laughs> let me let me point out too what's really interesting when you talk about the marriage of eastern and western it's also western filmmaking technology because yeah. i think that a lot of those really mind-blowing action scenes that we're seeing even to this day owe a lot to um Inuritu and quaron because coming off of gravity and birdman the idea of like these super complicated oneers making use of like CGI and hidden cuts and and digital doubles and things like that to essentially let the camera never cut through unbelievable sort of like you would think would be impossible sequences 
became en vogue. And so when you match that up with Eastern action choreography, you do get really fucking cool action. Um, and then we also got uh, Kingsman 2, The Golden Circle. Some people don't like that movie. I, I just sometimes I'm just a sucker for a, a couple of good fight scenes. And it had a couple of good fight scenes in it. Um, but I don't think you can say much more than that. No. Well, no, this is the year of the inferior sequel because that and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 yeah. come out. And they both just crank the original up to 10 with less oversight and poor, not poor results, but lesser results, certainly. Yeah. I still uh, enjoy I'll, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but yeah, it's not as good. The only thing, you know, what's funny when I when I first saw it, just real quick, when I first saw it, I didn't think it was that bad. And I loved Peter getting powers, and I was mad that he lost his powers at the end. I was just <laughs> on a basic level like that. But then I started, but then I started feeling, you know, trying to examine it later. But Bill, I'm sorry I cut you off. No, I was just going to say that I, I think what's interesting about Guardians 2 is that, to me, the weakest part of the movie is the ego storyline. Um, mm. Which I think is interesting because, like, obviously that's the A plot. So, you know, there's <laughs> there's something to be said for that really sinks the movie. <laughs> but, like, a lot of what they're doing around it, you know, the relationship between um, Nebula and Gamora, yep. uh, the, the what happens with the Ravagers and Yondu, mm -hmm. um, you know, all that stuff is great. Yeah. And it's it's really just this weird... Peter Quill being sad for his dad and Russell, uh, Kurt Russell kind of not knowing what to do with that character. Um, that just, that, that is where the movie just kind of lags and drags. And, and then, yeah, I would say too, that third act is a little bit nutty, you know, yeah. in a way that doesn't, that, I don't know, for me, wasn't like it ignores. All right, here's, I'm going to be a nitpicky asshole. They're at the center of a planet and people keep falling unbelievable distances. But like, even if you grant that it's a hollow earth situation, they should just be floating or unable to even fall anywhere. Like the center of a planet is the, is the center of gravity. Why are they constantly falling? Sorry, that just pisses me <laughs> off. Well, I just, I just think part, part of it is when you watch a movie like like that that has this sort of draggy third act you started parsing shit like that when you start yeah. thinking about shit like that that's where they're fucking up because every movie we like has shit like that but it's paced well it's doing this it's doing that i'd argue even that goofy ass godzilla movie did a better hollow earth than this than this did mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean there's a more interesting version of it you know what i mean so i i i not that they're comparable but anyway uh yeah that's i feel exactly as you guys felt and i don't Kurt Russell is wasted in this movie, man. Kurt Russell has so many layers of menace. Kurt Russell playing stuntman Mike in that, oh, that yeah. booty cheeks ass fucking uh, Tarantino movie. hundred times better and more nuanced than this. Yeah. You know? Agreed. And, and he's not even playing a fucking living planet. He's playing a stuntman who kills chicks. Mm. I get, you know, and he's just doing more with that role. Why can't you do more with And I think it's just a failure of Gunn and him to just imagine this new life form. They imagine his morality, but not enough of his ticks, you yeah. know what I mean, to get me to get involved with the character. Um, yeah, he's just a dude, which <laughs> right. is um, a choice. But arguably, we probably get 
what may be the best or at least close to the best of the DCEU in uh, Wonder Woman. Um, oh, yeah. This was, year is fucking wild because there's a couple of Marvel things coming that we got to talk about. But yes, Wonder Woman. Let's give let's give Wonder Woman her fucking due. Honestly. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I just think when you look at Wonder Woman 1984, you'd be like, God damn, Wonder Woman's the best movie I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, we all know that the first Wonder Woman uh, has some... The, the the third act is not perfect by any means. But the, the rest of that movie is, like, awe-inspiring and so well-written and so interesting. There's great chemistry it's fast paced. You care about the characters, all the good stuff. It looks cool too. I also really enjoy it as a movie that justifies its hero's existence mm. in a way that felt super compelling. Like probably mm. not since that first X-Men opening on the concentration camp. Do you really understand why like now is the time and this is the place and this is why this particular person needs to get their shit together and act. And like her sort of naive optimism and hopefulness and love existing within just the refuse and the horror of trench warfare. What an awesome choice. And like how well executed was that? And it, it just does everything in the world to justify and elevate the fact that they're really portraying her as like a, a real golden age hero type, like a very, I'm here to spread the ideals of peace and love for my Island nation. It's like, you saw the more modern take on her in Batman versus Superman, which was probably the best part of that movie of her just being a stone cold, badass warrior. But the yeah. fact that they dialed it back to like, I'm an ambassador of love and peace from this hidden civilization and then made it work. Like, Good job, man. I, and I remember the just the aesthetics of watching the Amazons train on Themyscira at the beginning of that movie like brought tears to my eyes. It was so well executed. It was just like, oh, my God. Like, we, we had not seen anything even remotely like that on screen at that point. Yeah, I don't think it could be said better. Uh, you said everything needed to be said, Bill. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, that's exactly... Everything that I like about it, you said it. So uh, cool. let's let's get to um, I, you know what? Let's do Logan next. Mm. Uh, well, this is where trouble comes into paradise for me because <laughs> I just uh, Logan is so good to everybody, and I don't like it. Matter of fact, that motherfucker has been inside my television for years. And I have never rewatched it. I've rewatched it to rewatch the parts that I didn't like. And I'll just get out of my soliloquy. <laughs> I, I don't. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. The first 15 minutes to 20 yes. minutes of Logan are unimpeachably fresh as fuck to yeah. me. They show a world where Logan is a fucking Uber driver who has to deal with fucked up people. Even his his violence against those assholes in the car, if that happens in the first 15, 20 minutes, is beautiful and brutal and perfect. It's James Mangold basically making Logan uh, Sylvester Stallone's character from Copland almost. Like, <laughs> I'm just – I'm over the hill. My best days are behind me. My healing factor doesn't work right. I'm having trouble fighting five dudes in a limo. This is a bad state of affairs for me. And his life at that stage – it's and, 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 and Professor X – 
being like an invalid who can't control his powers and he has to live in a diving bell, basically. All that shit is fantastic. Then you get to places where it's like Professor X has a spasm attack in that hotel and his mind powers shoot out and freeze everybody, right? But they, they freeze your mind in stasis so that your body just holds still. But there's no magnetic force or anything holding your body up so wolverine is stabbing people in the face while they're frozen with mind powers like if you're and he's stabbing them in the face and they're not falling there's so much stupid just i did this for the aesthetics i did it all for the nookie just ridiculous crap in there and it gets worse as it goes along the last half hour is unintelligible and Mm. last things last when logan gets those black people killed i'm sorry your card's revoked you don't get to come to the cookout I don't care how good your potato salad is because you've been living 150 years. Fuck you. He sucks. He gets everybody killed. Fuck this guy. I mean, I think that's my biggest problem with this movie. I, I very much am in Ed's camp on this. Like, what is the point of this movie? The point of this movie is literally just how much it, how much Logan sucks and how much it sucks to be Logan. And then he dies. And like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, what is this movie? This is Look, man. It's very it's an artistic version of that, though. Okay, so I need you <laughs> to chill out because it looks cool and it's got good music and an interesting pace. Uh, okay, that's uh, that's it. That's it. That's Look, I, he kills people. Okay, blood everywhere. It's pretty. I great. think da- I think Daphne Keen in this movie is amazing. Like, yes. Yeah. As, as Laura X twenty three, like yeah. she is unbelievable and the fact that she can hold her own on screen versus Hugh Jackman I mean it also speaks to the fact that Hugh Jackman is a very generous actor and like he's great but their dynamic unbelievable but again the fact that it's in service of this totally like nihilistic bankrupt story that really it, the movie seems sadistic like the movie just seems like it just wants to pound you over the head with how awful everything is and then he dies and it's like there was a, there doesn't seem to be a point to it. Like well, no, I, I didn't take to, uh, away anything. They got to the people who were going to. I don't mean safe. in the plot. I mean uh, like why tell the story to begin with? Like what oh, are you no, supposed to take also, away from though, it? Uh, okay, hold on. Why is Canada safe? Why is well, an imaginary border going to save you from reavers with bionic arms? I think it's Alpha Flight had just become so powerful and yeah, so yeah. dope. <laughs> yeah, that you nobody went into to Canada. Jurisdiction. Yeah, well, you don't even hey, want to fuck with them. Yeah, that's what it you is. You know, the, the comic books that they were looking at are drawn by Dan Penocean. Got to give him, got to give him his props for making those look like X Men comics of the day. He sort of does a Dwayne Turner almost style, the sort of late nineties, not mm-hmm. early nineties, like late nineties style mm-hmm. on it. I really appreciated those comics that, that were showing that like the headings where they were going to get to Canada or whatever. But yeah, and like so, just the saving of the new mutant kids should have been great. This whole like Noah's Ark of mutantdom, and I'm going to be the one to save it and get it over here and blah, blah. And then, oh, and last things last, man, fuck that clone Wolverine shit. That is dumb as hell. He's got so many people, even people like Cyber, who Bill likes. I don't like I that do. much, but Cyber has Cyber. He has like Admanium skin and claws and shit. Something like that fighting him. The, the, an actual upgrade of him. But this concept that the best you can do 
is a short Canadian, supposedly short Canadian, with claws coming out of his hands. That's the best we can do. To, we're making weapons for the last 30, 40, 50 years. And yeah, the best I, we can come up with to do is another version of Wolverine. That's pathetic and insane. Also, on top of that, like, well, how did you train this guy? Like, Logan's been alive for, what, 300 years or something at this it's, point? Yeah. it's So is he better trained? He should be better trained. I, I There's a lot of problems. You're right. Uh, I still enjoy it. I got to say, overall, I enjoyed the movie, but I can see that there's definitely some problems on it. So, And last things last. Okay, if I don't want to be rebooted over here, but you can't give Professor X a better death than that. He's a dumb old man having an Alzheimer's attack. And then I understand that's how we all go out. Hopefully your ass going to die in a bed. Not, sure not knowing who the fuck you are and not recognizing your fucking relatives. Hopefully you get that. You might die going to the 7-Eleven. So I understand that. But come on. If he's got this outsized power to do all this shit, why not have him die using his powers one last time to help Logan to save these black folks who are getting massacred as collateral damage in this goofy story? But again, this movie just seems to be horrible tragedy the movie like no, right. again there's no reason like you just make the choice because it sucks and it makes the the viewer feel bad like right. that's why you make the choice i mean let, at least let those people escape you know what i mean while he's I mean, fighting them they escape that one of them the kid yeah. or something just somebody escapes because it and again. then you show him getting mutant powers at the last second he like uh blips somewhere how about that? <laughs> but but guys, no one gets out alive. Like that's the point of life. No one gets yeah. out alive. It's true. And it's again, true. like that seems to be the yeah. only takeaway from this movie. So well, that is something we all need to learn and uh, <laughs> dwell on and be sad about. So that's that's a great point. Yeah, that's what I want for my superhero fiction. I just want sad treatises about death and aging and Listen, how nothing ever gets better, and you have to sacrifice yourself for the next generation. I don't want that from any fucking fiction. Like, nobody <laughs> needs to make the point that, listen, everybody dies. Like, that's just a given. You, that doesn't, yeah. if you're made, if that's the point of why you make a piece of art, like, give me something else. It could even right. be something darker. Maybe we all die and go to hell. At least that's interesting. But just <laughs> everybody dies. Just not enough. Enough. No, you know what? I think they need know. to be even more realistic. Everyone dies and then there's nothing afterwards and you're all sad. That's, that's perfect. That is Logan. That is that well, movie. Again, again, just the choice not to make either, not to make both of their deaths something that propels the next generation of mutants. Arguably, Logan's death is, but Professor X's isn't. Professor X invented this game. He gonna go out like some sucker. You On know top what I'm of saying? That, he goes out thinking that Logan actually killed him. Dude, that's what I'm trying to say. That's, that's, that's the like, worst. So tragic. Like, <laughs> he died going, I knew it, motherfucker. That was Professor X's last thought. I knew I should have trusted your bitch ass, which is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, that, that's a ridiculous last thought. For Especially because he was drugged up and he couldn't use his psychic abilities to know that it wasn't really Wolverine. Which is a bit, which is another choice. Like, oh, we're gonna put this mother anyway. I'm done yep. with this. I'm okay. done with you. Your All money's right. on the dresser. Let's go to the um, last two here uh, of 2017, uh, and that is we got Spider-Man: Homecoming uh, and Thor: Ragnarok. Um, God damn, Marvel was doing a ton of shit in 2017. They fucking nailed it in 2017. Marvel and Sony. I love Homecoming. I've heard complaints about Homecoming, which are. Uh, you know, his reliance upon Tony Stark and and all of that stuff. 
Who gives a shit? <laughs> I, I gotta say that I really don't give a shit. And in fact, I think that they one of I I can't remember who was being interviewed for this. It was a guy talking about um how you write Spider-Man. And it's it was one of the quintessential guys basically saying that look, you you don't want to hear this, but Spider-Man messes everything up. And yeah, that's what he's supposed to do. And then he gets out of it and he does it with you know being plucky and being a kind person who wants to help everyone and he still messes things up that's what this movie is spider-man also has a rich history of having mentor relationships that go horribly wrong and yeah. like i you know the tony stark thing in this movie adds texture that i think is good that is well needed that's like it, having that parental figure to be like you keep fucking up and you're a disappointment is a quintessential Spider-Man thing. Like it's, it allows that viewpoint to be externalized and put back on the character. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I am one of the people who are very happy at the end of whatever the last one. No way home. Yeah. Same, Final, by the way, at the, at the end of that, I'm glad that the, the status quo was reset to where Spider-Man has to do everything on his own. But in the universe that they're positing, where Tony Stark is Bill Gates meets ugh, Elon Musk meets a lot of different tech people, that would be a smart kid's role model. Full stop. He's a hero and a billionaire, and he's in tech. That would be his hero. The fact that he already got to meet his hero, which we already saw in fucking the great Civil War, this is just graduating that relationship. I have no problem with any of that stuff. I I love the uh, the scene where he's like, well, you're not even you're not even going to be here in person to tell me this shit. And then he pops out of the suit. I love that stuff. Cause he's like, he's telling him, I love you. I love you so much that you're so fucking disappointing me right now. Mm -hmm. Really fucking my shit up. Uh, there is a little bit of general hold though with him in regards to like Iron Man had it all under control and let Spider-Man go out there and keep fucking up. He could have yeah. like literally told Peter at that point, I have damage control or the FBI or whoever the fuck watch these guys. And we're going to get them go back to saving bodegas and shit. He could have shared that information with the youth, trusted him with that information, given how much he trusts him with goddamn weapon systems and shit in the future movies. I don't understand why he didn't trust him with that information. It's my only nitpick, and I mean only. I love the sub sub suburban scenes where he can't swing. I yeah. love the fucking shocker. I love the fucking vulture. Vulture's yeah, amazing. I love amazing. that vulture's business is stealing from these high-tech things. I love Spider-Man getting trapped in that fucking place, having a fucking play bocce ball against the wall and jump around and try out the different shit in his suit because he has 11 hours before he get, can get out. I I love every expression of that. And last things last, I love that his bully was an intellectual. Mm. Every, these days, if you touch a kid, you go into jail. So, But they can call you a bitch-ass motherfucker all day. <laughs> all, yep. all day. Yep. So then we got Thor Ragnarok. Um it's my most rewatched Marvel movie by far. Um, we know you love this one, Ron. I fucking uh, yeah. love this movie. And look, this movie I just know came out of nowhere. I it really, it just felt like it was like, how do we make Hulk even cooler in the MCU? How do we make Thor even cooler and actually cool in the MCU? It was like, they figured out like, okay, Hemsworth can be funny. He's actually better being funny that he is doing anything super serious. And then when he hits something serious, it's so much better when he's been able to be funny for the whole movie, basically. 
Mm. So uh, I I don't know. Just this movie it makes me laugh the whole time. The action's great. Uh, it's it's funny. It's tight. I don't know. It's great. I don't you know whatever. <laughs> That's it. I think it suffers a little bit from um, a nonsense villain. Like Hella is such an afterthought in this movie. That is um, true. The final battle scene, I think, in the third act is is great to watch. It is fun. It's, you know, there's those triumphant moments with the Led Zeppelin plan and Thor just getting nasty. Really fun. I love, actually, what they did with um, Asgard and that whole idea of it's not a place, it's a people, and just completely ripping the status quo out from under them and, and creating a situation where you were genuinely interested in what happened next forcing Thor to assume responsibility over his people. Like all that was really good. You know, it, it sucked a little bit that Kate Blanchett was kind of wasted as Hela, just like vamping around for 10 minutes of the movie. So it was a little overstuffed, but the Hulk stuff was so worth not having a fully realized villain because all that stuff that happens on Sakaar, you know, from the, the chase scenes where he's Mark Ruffalo to the actual battle scenes in the arena to the weird stuff in the apartment with Valkyrie, like all that stuff is just beautifully done. So, yeah. Well, how about Valkyrie being an actual fucking character, which she yeah. definitely wasn't in this newest one. Yeah. She's a, she's a character. She has a, as Ron likes to say, an arc from yep. going to like, you know, retreating from, from the real battles of the world to, to getting her revenge for the death of her lover and all this kind of jazz. Uh, the Hulk stuff, nothing, nothing to add to that. That's super fucking dope. I love the characterization. And I know I praised, uh, probably caped a little too hard for sex pest Whedon in the last one, but we didn't cracked what the fuck Thor is. I just want to make that very clear. If, if, if you like Thor and you like funny Thor, we didn't did that. I just watched fucking Age of Ultron the other day. The motherfucker's hilarious throughout that motherfucker. In the first Avengers, he's got some of the best laughs in the whole movie. Oh, he's adopted. That, all this different shit. That's Whedon. Taiko Atiti goes, let me put a spoiler on this motherfucker and a supercharger under the hood. <laughs> you know what I mean? He saw a perfectly great Camaro and he souped that motherfucker up. And yep. then he put giant drag wheels on it and wings and crashed into a fucking tree in the next movie after this. I yep. think this is very I think this movie's tone striking people as so perfect. It's so dope is because the last Thor movie was so dour mm. that this movie needed to be lighter almost by necessity. And yep. then you combine that with the fact that, you know, Whedon and the Marvel team discovered how funny Hemsworth was. And then we get that in the super drive and get this movie. I think this year, if I'm just looking in retrospect to 2017, kind of spoiled everybody. This is the reason why everybody's complaining about the MCU TV shows, because yes. we're getting nothing but home runs this with every release this year. Yeah. And if you look at the sum totality of what we've been talking about, that hasn't really happened for Marvel. It has been kind of up and down. There have been ones we've been hot on, ones we haven't been. But now we're just on this goddamn streak between Civil War, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, Thor Ragnarok, you know, even to a certain extent, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which was inferior but still enjoyable, Ant-Man, which we all loved, that came right before Civil War. Like, the fact that they crammed all this good shit into, like, a two-year time period is why now we're all just expecting, like, everything that they release should be gold because that's what they fucking do. Yep. Absolutely. So then we get to 2018 and uh there's some good there's some interesting movies. 
we got some good we got some fucking good movies actually in 2018. Um, let's uh, I think really there's well, only we should one. start at the top. Come on, man. Just okay, don't, you want don't to start? Feel start at the top. Venom. Man, <laughs> this is the best. <laughs> it's the best. It was the best. It was one of the best movies. Look, you know what's funny? A lot of people really liked Venom. I I don't mind Venom. I mean, I'm I show up for the Tom Hardy because I I have a crush on Tom Hardy. Like that's reasonable just a thing. But that was another movie that just like didn't go out of its lane. You know, this is a, a weird action comedy about a fucked up guy and his talking alien goo. And like, that was what the movie was, you know? And I, I feel like if Sony could have just kept it at that and not use the success of Venom to be like, well, now we got to build our own universe. Finally, baby, been waiting for this to happen ever since the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Then it would have been better. But like, as it stands, that original Venom before they tried executing the Sony Spider-Verse, great movie. It's a great little movie. Yep. Yep. Um, so then we also got Aquaman. Um, here's the weirdest thing about Aquaman. I really like this movie and I know that I should not like this movie. Why not? Because I don't think it's actually good. I think, I think that that doesn't have a really good bad guy. I think that, I think that it's kind of a mess. It the tone is like four different tones. It's got that one line where the guy goes, the King has risen or some shit like that. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of like five different movies all mashed into one, but I just had a fun time watching it. I, 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 that's, that's really where I'm at with it. I, there's a lot of problems in that fucking movie, and I also had a great time. So I don't but know it, how to feel about it. But you, I mean, I think you're remiss in not mentioning the parts where they got the science absolutely correct from uh, yep. uh, the yep. octopus uh -huh. playing drums yep. to the fucking <laughs> killer whales at the bottom of the fucking ocean. No, no, <laughs> you know? they do go there. That is where they, they hang out. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's just, I, I appreciate this movie. This movie to me is one where the fun wins out over everything. Yep. And maybe it's just my kind of fun, but to me, this is just like a triumph of direction because there are some very uneven performances. It is a very uneven script. You're totally right that they're, it's like they're just ripping off movie after movie that really shouldn't be in the same script together. But the director is having so much fun and just milking every location and every scenario for like every last drop of interesting cinematic visuals. Um, I kind of don't give a shit. Like when I, when Aquaman and Mira kiss in the middle of that fucking Titanic battle with the Kraken monster and lava exploding all around them, I'm cheering, man. Like, I don't know if I'm <laughs> feeling anything, but I'm cheering. <laughs> Dude, I think James Wan has figured out, you know what? I don't give a fuck if you sneer at me, bitch. Look at this billion dollars that I'm about yeah. to make. You know what I mean? Like he, like he did that movie Malignant, dude. I think it's on HBO Max. I would entreat both of you guys to watch that movie because it is so insane. You're like, how the fuck did anything like this get made? Why the fuck is James Wan, who makes billions of dollars all the time, attached to this movie? If you watch Malignant and you watch Aquaman, 
you can see that each of them come from the same birth, mm. the same set of ideas. So whether he's got $20 million or $2 million or $200 million, he's the same guy. I think James Bond is like a low key super genius. I don't like him, but I get he's got some zeitgeist powers, dude. Because I don't think there's too many people who could have directed that mess. Like I, I guarantee you, if you gave that to to anybody to say, literally anybody, yeah. literally anybody. No, it's, I, 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 it's his voice. I, yeah, I think it's a very similar tone. But I think you give that movie to James Gunn, and it's a turd. And he sort of yeah. works in that same style. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that there's something like that was such a pure expression of a guy who has in spinal tap parlance, nothing but like everything he does is just cranked to 11. Mm-hmm. I, Dude, yeah. The scene with the scene where the fucking kid goes to the fucking, goes to the fucking aquarium yeah. and then they're fucking with him. And then all the sharks and all the animals are pointing straight at the thing. And he's, and he's like, his, his eyes are even glowing a little bit from his powers working. And so I'm like, this is preposterous and I love it. Yeah. And, but even just like, design choices that are just bonkers crazy like the all white atlantean armor with like the glowing blue faces and it's like Mm -hmm. you just never see shit like that in movies and then they make it work really really well and it's like nicole kidman is in a lighthouse in like a mom outfit fucking swinging a trident around and kicking people's asses and somehow i believe it and it's like i don't know man i this this movie is not like some spectacular achievement in storytelling, but for a for like a, a roller coaster ride as a movie, I'm hard pressed to think of a better one than than Aquaman. And it has these weird, those weird, strange bedfellows that all kind of bad superhero movies have. Like, oh, Catwoman and the Penguin, uh, fucking this guy and that guy, whatever the fuck. This has, you know, um, uh, Black Manta. Orm, Orm or whatever and Black yeah. Manta making the Ocean Master, Orm, the Ocean Master, and and Black Manta making these weird, strange bedfellows like, oh, Aquaman fucked you over one time and your dad died because he's a thief and you guys are assholes? Well, fuck it. Here's some Atlantean technology. Put it on your head. while you're living in like an atoll like a a tropical atoll in the middle of the ocean with nothing around just fucking turn it into a head eye beam like it's so crazy it really is yeah that's what i mean you're literally pointing out all the things that are terrible about that movie (laughs) that were, were also awesome <laughs> at oh. the same time it is it's a dichotomy of weirdness and oh, um, just amber heard eating flowers in the middle of an italian villa i mean come on oh yeah. man don't even get me started on that okay I, I just want to do another quick hitter on something that you know we shouldn't talk about but the incredibles 2 comes out and all yeah. i gotta say really i'm gonna give it really short shrift because it's their fault they had to brought this motherfucker out 10 12 years ago or even yeah. fuck it five years before this People would have went nut. Fucking mm-hmm. Elastigirl is awesome. She's doing all type of shit. I, I don't want to say story great. But the story is good and serviceable. And and uh, the performances of all the cast are still there. There's so much great about that movie, but it's just it's just too late. We, yep. We've seen better superheroes on screen than we have in animation by that point. Okay, now I think we should talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Since we're oh, talking yes. about inferior sequels before, mm-hmm. I think this is classic inferior sequel I do not understand why this ghost girl is going to be in the new... Th- that actress, her fucking agent 
is in a spaceship with Xenu having sex because she is connected <laughs> as as a goddamn light socket. This bitch, I don't get. She's a very hot actress, and her being in the Thunderbolts surprised the fuck out of me. Although that power set is interesting for like espionage work, and that they seem to be making the Thunderbolts into an espionage team. So. Mm. Yeah, Ant-Man and the Wasp is the most episodic feeling of all the Marvel movies. Like, it, mm. it feels like a TV show episode. I think this is the introduction of that tone of, like, this could be eight episodes or something where nothing happens for three or four of the episodes, or it could be a movie. Right. Ah, fuck it. Just make uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. But it is interesting that, again, Marvel putting some of the most important fucking shit in their lesser efforts. You meet Black Widow in this shitty movie. You meet this person in that shitty movie. This movie is not shitty, but it is mediocre as hell. And you get the way that we're going to save the world. Mm. The way that the world, the way that the universe gets saved in Avengers Endgame is implanted in this at the end when he doesn't come back from the, you know, he doesn't come back from the The quantum quantum realm. realm. Yeah. Yeah, Which it, it, supposedly is also going to be a big part of uh, the Kang storyline, too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's going to be Ant-Man being a linchpin of one of the most interesting sectors of the Marvel Universe is so Marvel. Mm. You know what I mean? Him, him being in charge of that, you know. Well, if you think it about really the is. Hank Pym character in the original Avengers comics was really like their Reed Richards. I mean, mm, even more yeah. so than Tony Stark. Like, he was the sci-fi super science guy. So, you know, I, I think that, that I like the fact that Ant-Man is kind of owning that space within the MCU. Um, mm-hmm. I just I would agree that I, I, I just think Ant-Man and the Wasp. I kind of love the fact that it knows how kind of interstitial it is. So it's like it, it almost seems like it doesn't take itself too seriously. But, mm. yeah, it is a very kind of low stakes affair. It's just yeah. like, oh, cool. It made me oh, laugh okay. a whole bunch, though. I got to admit, yeah. I had well, laughed, I, I, I laughed I at love- a bunch of points. I also love letting letting um letting him get back with his lady love, you know, yeah. her being lost in the quantum realm and all that kind of shit and learning so much about the quantum realm that she can impart to them. It's really heartening. And that's what that's the only thing that makes me look forward to this newest Ant-Man movie, really, is to see how they use Michelle Pfeiffer as the original wasp and stuff. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Or whatever, 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 whatever her, her name, uh, White Hornet, <laughs> Cocaine Hornet came back from the <laughs> fucking. I think that is the official name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they should have brought not... Al Pacino in as, a, as some sort of a villain, you know? Oh, yeah, not to be like, a little Scarface reunion. Hey, she went no. to the quantum realm. Her womb is so polluted. <laughs> <laughs> not to be confused with Murder Hornet. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That's who Al Pacino could have played. <laughs> yeah, Al Pacino is Murder Hornet. <laughs> yes. Oh man, guys, guys, we got to get crack into this screenplay. He's getting pretty old. Let's do it. Every time so I get go- out of the hive, they pull me pull back me in. back in. Oh, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. They pull me back in using pheromones <laughs> that I yes. have to follow. I have no choice. <laughs> I fucked this queen. Al Pacino in a real Jeff Goldblum from the fly situation. <laughs> like he's actually half hornet. <laughs> oh, shit. That's awesome. Funny. Oh, God. Um, well, speaking of funny, sort of, we had Deadpool 2. Um, See my episode of Hot Takes with Billy Business where I give my full rundown on my very negative feelings toward Deadpool 2. You know, this is another one of those ones where Bill and I disagree. Uh, look, I like Deadpool 2. Maybe it is, again, one of those things with the charm. Like, 
I just fall for the charm. I love the kid in this. He's so ridiculous. Um, I the comedy when when they rip Deadpool in half that makes me laugh. I just <laughs> I think the, Bill Bill and I are just hearing every horrific teenager we've ever encountered tell look, us about if you see this i don't see if the i don't know if you see these i know they're out there on the podcast you can't see my background but one is uh goku wearing a uh, a chain a gold chain with a money symbol and then the other one is the supernatural guys so i basically am a teenager <laughs> And look, my favorite my favorite moment of the boys season three was where they blew up that dude's penis. Like, it's you pretty know, great. It's that's pretty great. Good filmmaking. I mean, it's pretty amazing, honestly. <laughs> we're all we're all so mature. I, I'm super mature. Um, I so can see the uh, annoyance though. Like having cable be cable in that was just like you had this guy who could actually nail cable, and then you did what you did with cable. I could see where you would get annoyed. I oh, mean, my that, that has part. nothing to do with fidelity to the source material at all. I just think no. that that fails as a movie completely on its own terms. Fair. Well, I mean, the failure of the Cable character is a big deal, though, because Cable being somebody you can quote unquote take seriously in that enterprise would have been really cool because Deadpool doesn't take anything seriously. He's totally invulnerable. This guy's a Kyle Reese with a fucking bionic arm for the future trying to prevent the apocalypse. That could have been a natural dichotomy. You know what I mean? They could have been the John Connor and T-800 of this movie. And instead, just a bunch of annoying banter to the point where I just wish everybody would have died besides the kid, maybe. How about the fact that uh, it could have been a funny, you know, opposites attract sort of odd couple pairing but they made the choice to have Deadpool's uh, girlfriend die in the first 10 minutes. And Deadpool spends most of the movie like horribly depressed and not wanting to do anything. And then they don't even get Deadpool and Cable together until the third act. I mean, the whole thing is just like, wait, what are these choices? Yeah. Cascade of terrible choices. We're done with this. Um, Then the other one I want to bring up before we move on to, I think, what are the big two in this is I want to bring up Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. How is that not one of the big two? Well, because arguably, I guess it is does count as a comic book movie, but we haven't been doing. What Are you saying arguably it's not a comic book movie? No, 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 not at all. But I'm saying we haven't been discussing animated much. We've been kind of skipping out on because a lot of animated. Is because a difference most of them between, aren't theatrically. Yeah. There is yeah. a definitive difference between theatrical animation versus direct-to-video animation. Yeah. And let me say this. This Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse might be my favorite comic book movie. If I really sure. think about it, that thing, I love that fucking movie. Uh, also a movie... I try to rewatch as much as I can, but I don't got the Sony Plus thing of Paramount, whatever. Look, I, I think, and I, I'm personally of the opinion that Infinity War is the best movie Marvel has made thus far, bar yeah. none. I think Into the Spider Verse is the greatest movie made in the time period that we're talking about. Yeah, Into the Spider Verse is a perfect movie. Yeah, I, I don't even know what else to say. I mean, like I said, I, I, if I were trying I to be a jerk, at, go ahead. You cried. Oh, I cried during that fucking movie. It made me yeah, so. I, mean, I like yeah. when when Spider Man dies, and then Miles Morales is like feeling all of it, and then he finds out his uncle is 
who he is. Like all those points just like really hit me. So, yeah. Well, I mean, all I'm all I'm going to say about it really is I love that it's I think it's it's a beautiful example of how you can be culturally specific and hit everybody. You know what I mean? Because because there's there, Miles Morales is a particular type of person, and mm. uh, beyond even race, he's a particular type of person. He's not the same genius as Peter Parker is. He is smart in a different way. He is a he has a different way of going about the Spider Man shit. He he does different stuff. You know what I mean? And I I love the fact that they just explore the fact that Spider Man can be all these different types of ways. The movie introduces uh, Spider Gwen or Ghost Spider. You know, and shows that she's a different way of being Spider-Man. So it doesn't put all this weight on here's the black Spider-Man or here's the different Spider-Man that's not that's not Peter Parker, the who you've been liking since you were in your little underoos. You know, this person, this whole movie is about the Spider-Man ethos being able to infect help any personality. Well, and broader than that, it's about having faith in yourself. And like yep. they make it explicit in the text, but like the whole point of the movie is like you have to have faith in yourself, and that's the thing that will get you through the toughest times. And it's like beautiful; it's absolutely beautiful. Yep. Yeah, uh, and just design wise, just to the way it's animated, I think it's that's why probably uh, Bill was like, "Whoa, because like <laughs> it really is. It's some of the best animation that's ever been theatrically produced." bar none including all the old school disney 101 dalmatian shit it but it harkens back to shit like that these specific yeah. choices like 101 dalmatians i forget the specific choice but basically they did sort of paintings that were angular and then the people were slightly different styles than the actual backgrounds so yeah, it was it like had a, this, it was they used like a sketchy line it was it was not right. a tight line and so it gave everything this very sort of like well-worn feel but right. you know, i mean that was the thing when you look back at classic Disney movies, they all make really specific artistic choices so that they're not looking like each other. You know, mm -hmm. Sleeping Beauty famously used these beautiful Rococo background paintings that look nothing like the backgrounds in any other Disney movies. Like you said, 101 Dalmatians has this specific style, etc. It's like they were really trying to invent new aesthetics that matched the material. And they did that with this movie as well. I mean, it's it's pretty much perfect. Changed the game. And, and frankly, like, I love it for reinforcing the fact that you can make a 3D animated movie without just trying to copy Pixar. Like, yep. we need more and more and more of that, of people just pushing the medium in different directions. So, God bless yeah. you. At th yeah. 3D with the aesthetic advantages of 2D drawing. Yeah, you really can't beat that. So, yeah, that, that it's a towering achievement. All three of these movies are cultural touchstones. The top three in this year are yep. literally cultural touchstones. And if I could just be a basic bitch. Yes. When I saw Black Panther, I fucking cried. And I was I was in the theater with somebody who probably should have been crying in front of. And <laughs> it was like. I, it wasn't even so much. I had just watched the same third act full of CG chicanery and obvious just, hey, we ran out of money. It's like that drawing of the horse that starts out great. And at the end, there's there's no time left. So it's just a stick figure. That's mm -hmm. the Black Panther. Make no mistake. But A, the script is the first or second best script that Marvel's ever produced. I don't care what anybody says. I the agree. script is a fucking people throw around Shakespearean so much. So the script is fucking tight as fuck. 
and the performances are so great. And last things last, like I said, I'm gonna be a basic bitch. I had never seen nobody spend no 200, 300 fucking million dollars on no Negro project. It had never happened before. It's probably not going to happen again besides Wakanda forever. Uh, I just, it was a real cultural touchstone that people could say there's money to be made by having something that can appeal to everybody, but it's specifically around these people and this sort of culture. That was a big one for me, man. It, it restored my faith it it did what Barack Obama's election would have done for a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And it made a billion dollars. So, yep. Profitable, uh, not just, oh, we're going to do you motherfuckers a favor. No, you're going to service a market that exists, motherfucker. Yep. Again, it's a it, the aesthetic choices in that movie too are beautiful. Like the design of Wakanda, the design of the ships, the design of the suits, some of the action design, like it all, it's, it's so different than anything that you've seen in a Marvel movie up to that point. And it all feels like it belongs together in this world that they've created, which, you know, if you love world building, that's everything you could have hoped to see in a movie about uh, uh, something like Wakanda. I mean, just amazing stuff. Yeah, it's a beautiful ass movie. Um, uh, you know I also cried. Ed, I I too cried. So that makes three of us. I was going to say the one knock against it. I'm interested if you guys share this opinion. I actually think Michael B. Jordan was miscast in that Killmonger role. Like I didn't buy him, and I I feel like I spent every moment he was on screen wishing it was a different act. Like I don't know who, but and maybe it's just because like to me Michael B. Jordan is like forever that dorky kid from The Wire. And so, like, him being, like, super badass military guy and, like, real from-the-hood gangster type, like, I just don't buy that at all from Michael B. Jordan. But um, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Well, he was at – I saw him in Fruitvale Station before that, and he was playing sort of a, a sort of a regular – uh, a regular hood guy who's not a gangster, but just sort of like, hey, man, I'm just living my life. I drink a little beer. I do a little stuff, try to take care of my kids. I don't really have any money. And he pulled it off pretty okay. It's just kind of like that swaggy, braggadocious thing. I just felt like it was so forced from him. But anyway, that's my one knock on another well, one. Again, my, my only actual knock on the whole Enterprise is that third act CGI fight because I just yeah. feel like I don't understand why that had to be even from the script phase, mm. I don't understand why it had to be that way. Two people, like I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in my room, I'm writing a script, and I go, they're gonna free fall in these super suits for like a mile or a thousand feet, something that would kill them both if they didn't have an uh, adamantium vibranium suits on or whatever. And they're gonna fight all the way down. That's dope. Then they're going to land, and then, then they're going to have to dodge a, a fucking train full of ore. Yeah, that's the, I, 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 that wouldn't make it past my final draft. you know. I, so I think that that was one of the few times where they were just given like, hey, man, we're going to have a rhinos and blue Negroes versus red Negroes fucking uh, end scene here, and we're going to have a train thing. So you just <laughs> got to deal with that. You know what I mean? I just feel like both of those choices were so... (laughs) But I think that whole sequence was a late addition to the movie. And and I agree with you, Ed. I don't even think... That probably wasn't in the script. That was probably some totally other team, you know, second unit action designers Mm -hmm. getting the mandate like, hey, give us some big sort of spectacle for this final fight because we can't just have these two like punching each other in the palace. So 
and then mm. they just you know they rushed the CG the CG teams to get it done, and that's what you end up with. And also, just yeah. last things last, it's a testament to how great the screenplay yeah. of this movie is that you don't go, wait a minute, the guy in Civil War was so cool and so like buttoned up and tight lipped. And this, we get to see him more at home with his friends and his people and stuff. But I feel like they almost just left that sort of, hey, man, I'm about one thing, about fucking dudes up. Oh, man, you know what? Fuck it. I'll be about forgiveness because I see this as the wiser way to go and more what my father would want me to do. And then this one, he's just sort of just sort of happy-go-lucky guy who drinks his purple juice. And If I had one nitpick, I would say I love the taciturn, the weight of the world is on my shoulders king that he was in civil war a little more than sort of a guy who has to be kind of thrown down a chasm to get his mind right in this one. And I feel like his super suit is so invulnerable. I like the way his powers are expressed in civil war a little bit more than in his own movie in his own movie. They shoot him with a grenade launcher point blank. And he goes, Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. you know what I mean? That's, that's just a little bit too much. I'm not, I've never one of these guys who goes, well, you know, I'm not from, I'm not a uh, 1830s white man for the South. I have, no Negro should have that much power. I'm not like that, but Black Panther oh, you're not? is not is not a godlike guy. You know what I'm saying? Right. He's not a way through a billion He's not 50 caliber bullets guy. He's a jump around, dodge around, beat you with guile guy. And I think they just made him a little overpowered if that was going to be his thing. Luckily for them, they gave him a character that was similarly outfitted and as powerful as him to fight in the end. And that's the only choice that is correct. In that milieu. But again, the script is so good. Like, fuck the acting and the, I mean, fuck the action and the fighting and shit. Yeah. The story that they were telling. That's why I think Kugler was just like, just let me have him die against the sun, the, the, the sunset on the veldt. Just yeah. let me have that on the mountain. Just let me have that scene. And yeah, I'll do your PlayStation 2 ass fight before that. <laughs> Look, yeah. it's a testament to how good the script is that you give that ending a pass because there's a lot of movies where you wouldn't, right? Where you'd say, right. oh, and that fucking third act, what was that shit about? In this case, we're just like, yeah, we get it. It was kind of rushed and shitty, but did you see the rest of the movie? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, and look, what's been said before, but I, I think since we're talking about it, it bears repeating that uh, a lot of people like to say Killmonger was right. And, you know, there's a point to it. And and the best – we've discussed this before. The best bad guys are guys that you go, okay, he's going about this wrong, but I know why he's pissed. And and you that's one of the things that was great about Killmonger is you know why he's as pissed off as he is and you get why he's as pissed off as he is. And the story, the story of the movie, just last things last, the story of the movie is Rocky Three. Mm-hmm. And we just met the character, which is why yeah. I like that it works, but it's just like a miracle that it does. Because the story of this movie is Rocky Three. I am on the throne. I'm literally the king of everything. I have beaten all challengers. And here comes somebody who knocks me off of my shit, and I have to go back to basics and figure my shit out to defeat this guy. You know, I'm going to go back to basics, tell him who you are, all that shit. I got to go back to me being the real Black Panther. It's it's Iron Man 3-ish. It's it's fucking yeah. Rocky three ish. It's strip him down, and I just feel like that's like we just got him. What are we stripping down? He just he just got here. But besides yeah. those <laughs> tiny nitpicks, besides those tiny nitpicks, it's just it's beautifully written and a well realized world. And Ryan Coogler is at it again with this Wakanda Forever shit. It just looks like such a great trailer. 
two trailers, these last two teasers. I haven't yeah, watched yep. the latest one, but I'm hearing a lot of shit about it. I'm just, I want to be in the theater when they show Shuri's little booty as the fucking Black Panther. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no and way. They, they no way is it Shuri. No way is it Shuri. They try to stick her with some vaccines, and she's like, oh, I got a vibranium suit on. You can't stick me with that vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So okay. then we got we yeah. to hit the last one of 2018 yep. and possibly one of the best of the entire decade, props possibly 20 years, is Avengers Infinity War. You guys, what a fucking movie. Uh, you know, I already said it. I think this is the best movie that Marvel's ever made. Um, to me... The pace, the 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 tautness of the script, like every line turns the story. Every character has unbelievable moments. You know, the decision to make it almost like Thanos is the protagonist of this movie. What a weird choice and how well does it work? Just the ability to bring all these characters together and not make it at all feel forced. The aesthetics, it's beautiful, you know. I I have I have nothing but praise for this movie. I I just think it Endgame was a letdown for me after Infinity War because Infinity War was so good, which is a weird thing to say, but I just think like in terms of doing what movies do, Infinity War is just a fucking movie, man. I I love that movie, that movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what else to add uh this is another one of those ones where, like, I, this is how I know how good it is. Um, Ariel loves to go rewatch it with me. We mm. put that on a pretty frequent amount. And she has a hard time watching Endgame because she doesn't like, you know, when Iron Man dies. But Infinity War, she's into it because she's like, well, maybe they'll come back even though they got turned to dust. <laughs> but i mean oh, and that too just the fact that it ends and look uh, it's we empire all knew strikes it. back yeah but I, it's like we all knew that it was the midpoint of the story but the ending was so bleak and they committed to it so hard and did not give you even a glimmer of hope i mean like god i just respect the hell out of all those decisions like it was so good <laughs> Yeah, and I, I just I enjoy the fact that it 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 centers us on a splintered um, Avengers team because mm. we forget the, the the shit that happens and 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 uh, that's why to me Civil, Civil War is still the best yeah. because Civil War is the Batman Begins of this movie's Dark Knight. It set up so much of what this movie takes for granted that we like so much, like the disbanded the disbanded Avengers team, the fact that they tried to get it together in the end and still lost because they were, they weren't together. That tragedy is what makes this and Endgame work. And it was introduced in, uh, Captain America, you know, um, civil war. So yeah, the, I just, I like that aspect of it. I like the fact that it, it builds on what came before. It takes certain things for granted and then builds upon those like, okay, what is a divided Avengers? Like what, what are they doing? Oh, there's motherfuckers on the run. There's this, there's that. You know what I mean? There's they're in such different spaces. And I for something so spread out in regards to how the action is happening, like action is happening out in outer space. It's on Earth, it's over here, yeah, it's over yeah, there. Yeah. It feels of of a piece. Yes. And that is a testament to Marcus and McFeely's just and the Russos just seeing this. That whiteboard must have they must have went oh, through a hundred redwood trees dude. for that whiteboard to plot this out. 
I cannot even fathom how many drafts, the, yep. the amount of notes and, and structural exercises. I mean, holy shit. Like, I, it, it, it boggles the mind that they could even get to the final product because there's so many moving pieces that are handled so deftly. It's it's a the movie. It's a little bit of a miracle, like just the fact that that movie is so good. Like, I I will forever have respect for Marcus McFeely and the Russos because holy shit, man! I mean, yeah, and the, I, yeah. let's talk about the acting a little bit. Uh, I I don't know. I there everyone nails their parts so sick that the moment where Tony Stark meets a uh, Doctor Strange, mm. and and how they're so. They're almost like similar characters. Everybody loves to say that, but then you see like their egos clashing and they're really two different worlds. The one's that magical, mystical world and one's that technologically advanced world. And it's just like they clash against each other and it's just this beautiful acting moment. And and so many great moments in this movie just coalesce to just like really make you feel stuff and and laugh and and move with a movie that, is so huge in scope that if you think about it on paper, you go, no way they can make this work. There's too many characters. There's too many bad guys. There's too much mess in this movie. And it just doesn't, doesn't stop moving. It doesn't, doesn't ever not work. I also think along those same lines, Thanos yeah. What an achievement. I mean, Josh Brolin's performance is amazing. The performance that all the CG artists give him, just the visual, like really never wavering from being completely, completely convincing. And again, you know, you talk about people saying Killmonger was right. Like yep. no less compelling um, motive does Thanos have in this movie. And the way that they were able to take what was kind of a silly comic setup, I'm in love with the personification of death, and so I'm going to give her my tribute of killing the half the universe, and actually turning it into just this like cold, calculated, you know, statistics problem. I again, that character instantly became one of like the top five movie villains of all time for me. I just think that it, it, everything in that movie is an achievement. It's really great. Yep. Yeah. I'll, I'll just echo the things about Thanos being a real guy. I think Thanos is the reason why everybody's hating on the She-Hulk. They saw a CGI character. They go, well, duh, this thing they spent years building forever and the biggest movie we've ever done. That should be the standards they apply to a TV show. Certainly. <laughs> fucking, uh-huh. fucking idiots. Anyway. <laughs> God damn. Yep. And that's where we're going to leave it for this week. Next week, we come to our senses-shattering conclusion of our epic, at this point, five-part discussion on the greatest comic book movies and the effects they had on us. This week, we have an email. Uh, It was sent to us by Matthew Nettle. uh, And if you want to know what our email address is, it's email the greatest pod. Email the greatest pod at gmail.com. So uh, Matthew availed himself of this opportunity to talk to us directly and sent us this wonderful message. 
I want to start by saying I've been really enjoying the content lately. Not just lately, but especially lately. The greatest superhero movies by decade is long overdue and has been really interesting to hear your takes on how the genre has evolved over time. Anyway, I left a five-star review on Spotify and there wasn't an option to leave a comment, so here I am. I figured I would mention a thought I just had while watching Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. Lately, I've been relating more and more to Peter Parker than I ever have in my past. I'm currently 27 years old. I'm a cisgendered white male with a lot of privilege. I have been super busy lately and struggling with trying to balance my romantic relationship with going to school, working part-time, and also working on an environmental conservation project. I kind of feel like how Spider-Man doesn't want to be the hero anymore. The weight of having great power and responsibility is keeping him from living a normal life. I think the idea of great power and great responsibility has always had a lasting impact on me, and it is why I have made certain sacrifices to work toward achieving my goals and making the world a better place. Anyway, I noticed while listening to the discussion about each decade that a recurring theme and trope is writers making the hero reluctant or not wanting to be a superhero anymore. See also Aragorn and Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy as an example of this. I wanted to say that I actually like this story trope even if it is overused. I know that Ed especially hates it, but he also hates the Chosen One stories. So which one is worse, I guess, in this case? Take a time out to answer that uh, as Ed. Um, I think... Chosen One sucks more than Reluctant Hero. Reluctant Hero is somebody who seems to have taken, they seem to see how hard being a hero is or have dabbled in being a hero in the past, and it's just really hard to, to, to keep up with. And to me, it's sort of realistic for people to come to grips with their limits, come to grips with the limits of their bandwidth and just want to check out. What I can't stand is a Chosen One narrative where it's just like somebody who hasn't even had an inkling of being this sort of hero, gets primed for it from before birth by a genetic experiment or something like that. It just, to me, that takes all of the pathos out of being a hero. I relate to somebody thrust into a position to be a hero and almost being compelled to do it despite all their better judgment. For some reason, that's better than, oh, well, you were always supposed to be the one, Harry. You know, For some reason, I just don't like uh, chosen one stories because they, it devalues how difficult heroism really is, in my personal opinion. Back to Matthew's note. Anyway, last things last. <laughs> I like that. Anyway, last things last. I think that Spider-Man 2 might at least be the greatest example of this story. Keep up the great work, guys. I have been following along for years, ever since Ed gave a plug for the old podcast on Screen Junkies. I have also watched a bunch of rebooted episodes until I got depressed that you guys weren't actually making any of these movies. I wanted to reach out for a while, so hopefully this is the start of a dialogue. I guess I should look at joining the Patreon. Yes, you should patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod uh it's a way to send us messages uh that we answer first for obvious reasons and it's a way to contribute to keeping uh, the lights on here so thank you so much matt for telling the folks to join the patreon that you do it yourself i'll greet you when you do so and as a dismount matt also put on the r spider-man reddit forum a big plug for our podcast on spider-man's greatest villains he puts Hey everyone, this is a really cool conversation about who are this who are the greatest Spider-Man villains. I thought y'all would enjoy. I'm trying to spark some conversation, so let me know who your favorites are or if you agree on the take these folks have. 
can't do it better than that. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for spreading the gospel of The Greatest Pod. Thank all of you for listening. Thank you guys for interacting with our content over on Reboot It. We're going to be bringing the show back, I do believe, at some point. And for right now, we're doing movie mashups, which are 30-minute quick episodes of us just freestyling uh, movies based on certain genres and uh, and tropes. And we kind of put them all together and uh, do it all in 30 minutes improv live, no edits. So I'm sure you should check out the Rebooted channel to check that stuff out. And thank you for listening to another meandering but awesome episode of The Greatest Pod.